Before we get into today's episode of Transformation Talks, there is a quote that I would love to share with you. And normally I am not by any means a big quote guy. I think at best they produce very fleeting motivation and at worst they're completely useless. But this has been particularly top of mind for me over the last few months as I have continued to put off a solo episode. Now, the reason I've put it off is I actually find solo episodes to be more difficult to record than the interviews themselves, which is a little backwards compared to what most people would say. But when I'm doing an interview with somebody, that's just a conversation that feels very comfortable to me. Whereas when I sit down for a solo episode, my mind is in a million places. I'm thinking about all the different directions I could take the show. It leads to a little bit of that paralysis by overanalysis phenomenon where you do nothing because you can't do something perfectly. But back to the quote and why it's relevant, my buddy Adam Martin always says, things get harder every day you don't start. And I know that sounds so elementary. I know that sounds so obvious to the point where you might roll your eyes at it. But oftentimes, the most straightforward, simple advice is the advice we need. And as I contemplated putting off yet another solo episode in lieu of a, or I should say in favor of a guest episode, I decided, you know what, the longer I put off doing a solo episode because I'm overanalyzing it, the harder it's going to get for me to do one. And before you know it, six to 12 months will have gone by and I won't have done a single solo episode. So I shared this with you, not because you care that much about my podcast strategy, but because it's probably holding you back in some way in terms of you procrastinating or putting things off, thinking that a future version of yourself is going to be any more motivated or any more eager to do the thing that you're putting off right now. So whether it's the meal prep that you kept telling yourself or that you keep telling yourself that you'll get into on a weekly basis but never do, whether it's skipping your morning workouts, then telling yourself you'll do it after work, and then telling yourself you swear you'll do it the next morning, this is something called responsibility debt, where we're assigning tasks that we should be doing or that we have committed to in that moment again, to future versions of ourselves, the problem becomes, excuse me, becomes, as I already alluded to, those future versions of ourselves never actually want to do the thing. And to Adam's point, it actually gets dramatically harder. Whether it's logistically, there are more things on our plate, or mentally, it just feels like there's a lot to do. It feels like there's a big hurdle. There's absolutely nothing that's going to trump taking action in the moment, even if it's imperfect, which for me starts with recording the solo episode for you entering this week, entering this month, depending on when you are listening. I am challenging you to take a small imperfect action that breaks the streak of inaction that generates at least a little bit of momentum. So hopefully you get a little bit out of that quote. Again, this gets harder every day you don't start. After the episode, if you feel like you got something out of this Q&A, I would greatly appreciate if you would consider leaving a rating and review for the show because it helps get this show in front of more listeners. Welcome back to another episode of Transformation Talks. I'm your host, Sam Forger, and today we'll be doing a holiday Q&A. That said, before we get into it, I would like to point out that although we're calling it a holiday Q&A because that's the time we're recording this, if you happen to stumble upon this episode at a time that is not immediately before a holiday, it's still going to be extremely relevant, especially if you struggle with navigating alcohol and social expectations and peer pressure and a food environment and an abundance of food and all the things that tend to come up in non-holiday situations. That said, let's get into today's Q&A, which, by the way, if you want to be a part of the next time around, the next time we do a solo episode, you can do so on Instagram. If you are not currently following me, my handle is at Coach Sam Forge. 
That is not forget. That is Forget, F-O-R-G-E-T. And the first question that we got about navigating holiday nutrition and obstacles specifically wasn't so much a question as it was a statement, but I get what they're going for. And that is the all or nothing attitude that comes up all the time, especially at the end of the year, at the time I'm recording this now, where people tend to throw in the towel for the last few months of the year and get the party started again in January. Now, the all or nothing approach or mindset can really be at play for a handful of reasons, but I find that a few of the most common are a lack of education. And I don't mean that in an insulting way. I mean, quite literally, most people have been led to believe, which is not their own fault, that if they go off track a little bit, it makes a much bigger deal than they think. A most common, or I should say the most common example of this would be the scale. Let's say you celebrate Thanksgiving and you have a ton of food and you step on the scale the next day and you see, oh my God, I'm up three pounds, four pounds, five pounds. I blew all my progress. Why bother even trying? This is a moment where people slash their tires, they give up altogether, and they don't even bother trying to get back on track. Now, with a little bit of education, we'll realize that for a single pound gain to happen, to gain just one pound of body weight, we have to be in what's called a 3,500 calorie surplus. So we have to take in over 3,000 calories more than it takes to maintain our body weight in a single day period. So for you to gain three, four, five pounds, we're talking about a 10 to 15,000 calorie surplus on top of your maintenance calories. Most people's maintenance calories are at least just shy of 2,000. In English, when we kind of wipe away all that math, and I'll boil this down for you, that means for you to actually gain a couple of pounds in a single day period or in a single weekend, you'd have to be eating obscene amounts of calories that would literally make you one of the best eaters in the world. And I'd be more impressed than disappointed. So this is a small example of where a lack of education can set us up to feel like there's no point even trying because 99.999% of the time, the reason that you're about to throw in the towel, the reason you're about to quit isn't actually substantial or significant by any means. And you're much closer to baseline than you actually think. Another reason people fall into the all or nothing cycle is because they fear what's on the other side of nothing. So whatever that all looks like, because most people operate with a very restrictive approach with something that is incredibly intense. So if you find that every time you go off track subconsciously, you just can't get yourself to get back to your usual plan. Well, maybe it's not a willpower or mindset issue that you, you've been led to believe or that you think is existing or think that's at play here. Maybe your usual plan is what needs most of the focus. Maybe that's what we need to address. Maybe if your body and your mind are resisting it so damn much, that's the issue. And I find that to be the case all the time. Because if your usual plan is at least tolerable and you're working in some splurges and your workouts aren't totally miserable, then you're not going to resist going back to it so much. So in short, when it comes to overcoming the all or nothing approach, know that if you go a little bit off track, you're almost always within striking distance of being where you need to be to at least maintain and in many cases continue to make progress. Aside from that, it is worth looking at your plan and whether or not it is set up in a way that would make any logical person resist going back to the usual plan. So that's a phenomenal first question. Next question we have came up in a few different forms, dealing with leftovers. How do I enjoy all the options that are all around me? Any tips for bypassing things you don't even really want, but you know they're available? And yes, I have a lot of recommendations here. Now, when it comes to the holiday season specifically, one of the things I like to do is set very clear expectations of people. Because if your expect, me, expectation of yourself is this very militant level of discipline, 
anything but, and you're going to feel like a failure. Whereas if we have a more logical conversation and say, you know what, Sally, we're going to use Sally as an example here. Sally, you're going to have candy around you at work. You're going to have people dropping stuff off at your house. You're going to be a part of all these parties and things that you don't typically do. So it wouldn't make sense that you can operate the way you typically do. It's going to be inevitable that you have more splurges than usual, that you're a little more flexible than usual. The key for us is going to be finding a little bit of a balance, which seems obvious, but most people get so down on themselves if they grab some holiday candy at work that they didn't truly want. Well, guess what? Environment dictates behavior, so it's normal. It's expected that you would do that. Like I said, though, there is a middle ground for finding a balance once we have set the expectation that we're not going to be perfect. So a few tangible strategies that you can use if you are surrounded by this stuff at work or uh, more relevantly, we're going to pretend that's a word to most people. You're going to have stuff at home. People are going to drop stuff off. You're going to have leftovers from parties. Your home environment is going to be a little bit more challenging to navigate. So when that happens, one of the best strategies that you can use is planning ahead. This is another one of those very simple strategies that people tend to overlook. But if you write down your plan, you're much more likely to follow through with it. So if I wake up without a semblance of a plan whatsoever, and I have some chocolate cake from a party I hosted the night before in the fridge, what's the most likely outcome here? Am I going to take the time to make an egg white omelet or am I just going to pick away at the cake? Well, obviously the cake, if I haven't committed to anything else prior. So before bed, and this is something I'll have all of my clients do, I'll actually encourage you to pull out your phone, whether you're using a MyFitnessPal, whether you're just tracking in your phone's notepad and plug in what you anticipate having the next day. What essentially would make the next day a success? So say it is a handful of eggs and uh, egg whites, like a scrambled omelet type thing, whether it is a protein smoothie, whether it's oats, whatever gets your day started on a stronger note, go ahead and plug those things in in advance. That when you wake up the next day, even though you have a more challenging environment, whether it is at home or whether it is at work, you have an outline to work off of. The other thing here to speak back to that moderation point is that I would actually plug in those splurges in your plan because if your plan puts these things on such a pedestal, like I can't have it, I can't have it. You just got to have more discipline and more willpower. Well, guess what? When you inevitably slip up, it's going to be next to impossible to be moderate because you've given this food so much power. It's don't push the red button, don't push the red button, and then you do it. Well, screw it. I'm not going to get to push this red button anytime again soon because my plane doesn't allow it. Boom, 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 boom. I can't stop. So again, when you were planning ahead, make sure you were incorporating these splurges in moderation, because not only is it going to be easier to not totally wing your days and go completely off track for days on end, but then you won't be operating from place of scarcity. The other strategy that I would give anybody who is having to deal with a lot of leftovers in a challenging food environment is to reduce friction between you and a healthier choice. Because if we think about it, whether or not you're making a good choice or not so good choice comes down to what's the most convenient choice to make. So if you get home from a long day at work and you look on your counter and you have leftover Halloween candy and you look in the freezer and you have frozen, plain, unprepared chicken, what's the most likely outcome here? We can sit here and look for motivation and discipline all we want, or we can just make it easier to make a good choice. So this is where we look at actually meal prepping. And I find that for most people, at least prepping your protein sources is going to be a no-brainer. So a little bit of chicken at the beginning of the week, some ground beef, some ground turkey, things like that, hard-boiled eggs, the things that are the least convenient to make on the fly, the things you'll be the least motivated to make on the fly. 
You can also do something I call prep to prep or prepping for success. And this is something my very own mother did and route to losing over 70 pounds. And that was looking at things like cutting up your vegetables in advance. That way you're not having to do it after a long day at work. And you can just throw them into a stir fry or a scramble of some kind pre-portioning your oats. That way you're not having to take out whether it's a measuring cup or a food scale, whatever you're using throughout the week, essentially just reducing friction. That way when my mom gets home and she's a great baker, by the way, there's pretty much always a baked good in her house. She opens the fridge, she opens the cupboard, and it's equally easy to eat something healthy as it is to eat something not as healthy. So in short, when we're looking at friction-based decisions, we can't necessarily reduce the friction between us and the not-so-healthy choice. Let's go ahead and pour our energy and effort and attention to reducing the friction between us and the healthier choice. One last little strategy I'll throw here that's extremely straightforward and underrated is re-gifting or purposing the foods to somebody else. So you're cousin came over and left you a bunch of holiday cookies and that was very sweet of them and that's great and you have some and you share some with your partner you share some with your family go ahead and bring them to work the next day pass them on to somebody else it's it's not offensive it is not a bad thing for you to do that's a narrative excuse me a narrative that we tell ourselves because we feel bad but when we receive foods like this it's really just an expression of love and hey i care about you and this is how i'm showing you so you can essentially just pass that on to somebody else that way you're not just throwing something in the trash for the sake of hitting an arbitrary calorie range so that's another great question like i said that came up in a lot of different shapes and forms uh, one question here is extremely specific that I love. Just says holiday-shaped Reese's, and this actually comes from a former client of mine who for the longest time was diagnosed with um, a nut allergy. And then she did an updated test in adulthood and found out she wasn't allergic. So she had a lot of years of making up to do on the uh, Reese's front, which I get because that's my favorite candy. The thing I would say if you have any sort of specific, I don't even want to say vice and give it that much power, but a specific splurge that you turn to again and again is that there's a 99% chance that you do not need to operate from a place of scarcity because you could probably have that splurge any day of the week, any time of the year. So something like a holiday shaped Reese's, yeah, it's super fun with you know, chocolate and peanut butter. You can't go wrong with that. But in the moments where you feel like you're depriving yourself and oh, I just want to have this every day because the holidays are almost over. Well, guess what? In February, if you really, really want to, you can probably get your hands on some holiday shaped Reese's. And that goes for a lot of holiday drinks, a lot of holiday splurges. Growing up, I used to love eggnog. My twin brother and I used to fight over that, and we would drink every last drop of the carton. We literally alternate back and forth chugging it until it was gone because we felt like, oh, my God, we're never going to get to have this the rest of the year. Growing up now and doing our own grocery shopping, we realized my mom was very intelligently just not bringing home eggnog on a weekly basis. But if I really want it now, let's say during the holidays, I can remind myself, you know what? This is something that I can have any time of year. And one little bonus tip I'll add there is that a lot of people, when they're foregoing a splurge, will say something like, I can't have this or I shouldn't have this. When, if you're on a good plan, isn't actually the case. I want you to reframe things in your head to, I am choosing not to have this fifth holiday-shaped Reese's. I am choosing not to have this sixth glass of eggnog in the case of 12-year-old Sam in favor of all these other benefits. So in this case, it could be in favor of maintaining my body weight and in favor of losing a little bit more body fat, being more consistent with my workouts, more energy, better recovery, better sleep, better digestive health. The list goes on from there, but it's not suffering for the sake of suffering. When you're being mindful and you're being moderate, you're just choosing a different benefit. 
So this is a perfect example of something that is relevant during a non-holiday time. It's another great question. Let's see what else we have here. Somebody was asking about calorie cycling in order to enjoy treats. So if you're not familiar with calorie cycling, it is having an alternating calorie goal. There's a few different ways to set it up. But essentially, let's say your calorie goal was 2000 per day, and that's what produced fat loss for you. And you're a highly social person who ends up having a little bit more calories in the weekends. Anyway, there's a scenario where we shouldn't necessarily fight that. Let's just drop your weekday calories, not extremely low, maybe to 1800. Monday through Friday. That gets us a thousand calories back that we, excuse me, that we can now reallocate to Saturday and Sunday. So now instead of 2000 every day, you drop slightly 1800 all week and you have 2500 on Saturday and Sunday. Now, my challenge to anybody using this strategy is not to hide or sneak in the restrict and overeat, deprive and binge cycles within this because a lot of times it's a numerical way to do that. People bank so many calories for special occasions and weekends and the food quality just plummet. So make sure you don't fall into that trap. But aside from this, yeah, I think this is an excellent strategy that you can use around the holidays or just if you're a highly social person in general with a lot going on in the weekends or specific days of the week. But one other little caveat that I'll add here is that if you're celebrating a holiday with your family, there's a 99% chance. And for the people I work with, a 100% chance, the last thing that you should be worried about is how many calories you had that day. Am I saying you should be completely mindless and just stuff yourself till you feel sick? No. But we don't need an app like MyFitnessPal giving numerical feedback to tell us, you know what, Sam, you probably shouldn't have another gallon of eggnog tonight. You probably shouldn't have your 15th piece, or excuse me, 15th piece of carrot cake. There's a, there's a middle ground that we can operate in, and we don't need an app from that. So big picture, absolutely. I'm a fan of calorie cycling both for the holiday season, if you're a little bit more social on the weekends, and for non-holiday occasions in general, if you're a little bit more social. But when it comes to specific holidays, please do not major in the minors. If I challenge you to look back at any holiday that you've ever really enjoyed, you don't know how much protein you had that day. You don't know your carb to fat ratio. You don't remember your meal timing. So don't make the mistake of operating in the moment as if that's actually going to be the case. Now, we have two other questions here that came up in a lot of different forums that I'd love to spend the rest of today's episode on. Um, number one is not quitting until New Year's. And this is a great question and comes up all the time. And I think the thing to keep in mind here, whether it's quitting from now when I'm recording this in late November to the end of the year, or whether you're throwing in the towel from mid-July till the end of the summer, or even on a Friday morning until Monday morning because you went off track at a brunch or something, is that... These turnaround times of I slipped up, I'm going to wait until X date to get back on track are highly underrated. People highly underestimate how much time they're actually throwing away waiting to get back on track. For example, Saturday, Sunday, people tend to eat not so well on Saturday and Sunday. Then they get really frustrated. They're sitting here like, I eat so healthy Monday to Friday. Yeah, I splurge a little on the weekends, but I eat mostly healthy. Well, guess what? Saturday and Sunday alone are about 28%, so close to 30% of your week. That assumes that the rest of your week, let me rephrase that. If we assume, and this isn't really a good assumption for most people, that the rest of your week was pretty close to perfect, we still can't throw away 30% of your week and expect success. So we can't have these massive turnaround times where we're waiting to take action, kind of like I talked about before this episode. We like we are 
let me try it again, where we are waiting to be consistent. So you can imagine if we're throwing away four weeks or five weeks or six weeks, what a bad precedent that setting of I am waiting to take this perfect action, which kind of ties back to the all or nothing approach where the reason people tend to put off getting back to business is because they overestimate how much quote unquote damage they did in the short term and they underestimate how productive they can be being imperfect. And you'd be surprised how imperfect you can be on a weekly basis, whether it comes to your workouts and you don't do all the exercises perfectly or your nutrition and you work in some Reese's and some fun splurges while still making progress. So my answer here largely resembles what I recommended for the all or nothing approach. Make sure your plan is in a place where you're not resisting going to it where in the first place we're going back to it, where you know that on January 1st, you're not going sugar-free, carb-free, processed food-free, because you don't need to do any of those things. And I would actually argue that the vast majority of people should not, because then you'll get what I call borrowed results, where you have them for a little bit, but you don't get to keep them. And that's no fun, because then we suffered for absolutely nothing. The last question here, which could be an episode in itself, is alcohol. Essentially, how do I navigate alcohol during the holidays? There's more pressure to have alcohol from other people. It's around me more. There are fun holiday drinks. There's all this stuff. What do I do? So like many other things that I, I talked about today, we want to keep in mind that it's normal for you to drink a little bit more during the holidays. That's natural. It's the nature of our physical environments, our social environments. So if your expectation is that you're going to operate the way that you typically do, that's an unrealistic expectation that is setting you up to self-sabotage after you slip up a little because you had this irrational expectation of being perfect. So once we have that expectation in place, there are a few tangible strategies that we can use to moderate alcohol. One of my favorite, excuse me, favorites that allows for quite a bit of flexibility is something I call a drink quota. So this is essentially a calorie allotment, excuse me, a drink allotment that you pick earlier in the week that you can break up however you want, because this is a nice balance of moderation and flexibility. So let's say during the holidays, you said seven drinks, and I'm not saying you should have seven drinks per week. That's a very personalized decision. But let's say for the sake of this example, I gave you a seven drink quota. Well, if you wanted to go out with your coworkers after work on a Tuesday night and have three drinks, that's fine. Go right ahead and do that. That fits within your quota. But now you only have four drinks left the rest of the week. So you're going to be a lot more selective if you have a holiday party on a Friday night or you're having family over on a Sunday. So again, this is nice where it's not restricting you. Nobody's saying not to drink during a time of year that honestly lends itself to drinking, but it forces you to think a little bit. The other thing with a weekly drink quota is it keeps you more in touch with how many drinks you're having because I've worked with a lot of people who don't think they drink very much. The second they start logging it, they go, oh, wow, I had one Monday you know, a glass of wine Tuesday to unwind. Wednesday, I saw a couple friends and then I didn't drink Thursday, Friday, but Saturday was kind of a bender and Sunday I had a mimosa. Oh my God, I had 17 drinks this week, which may sound like a drastic example to you, but to a lot of people, that's not actually the case. And that's a fairly normal week of drinking, depending on your social calendar, depending on who and what is around you. So that weekly drink quota can be really powerful. Within that, something else you can do uh, is get really familiar with your drinking number. I'll always ask clients, what's your number? And what I mean by that is there's a certain amount of drinks that causes you to throw in the towel on all your other habits. So for me personally, as a major lightweight, if I have three drinks, occasionally four, but most often three, 
it is a hundred times more likely when I cross that threshold from two to three drinks that I'm going to want to order McDonald's and then I'm going to want to stay up watching Netflix and then I'm going to skip my workout the next morning. It's it's that white flag type number and we all have it. So if I challenge you right now as you're listening to this, what is your number? Think about it. If you have two drinks, three drinks, can you still have a relatively tame night and enjoy yourself? And what typically happens when you go four, five, in some cases, six or more drinks? At what point does everything else kind of go out the window? And the reason I bring that up is within that drink quota, your weekly drink allotment, try on no specific occasion, I should say on any given occasion to not reach that drink number that although although you can technically fit in a little bit more based on your drink quota or based on your calories, it generally isn't going to make sense based on the most realistic outcome if you cross that drink threshold. Last drinking strategy I will throw at you before we wrap things up here. And again, this is relevant to any non-holiday occasion, any splurge in general, any night out in general is something I call the token method. This is another uh, slightly less numerical form of mindful eating and selective splurging. And the token method is fairly simple. If you think about the average night out, the average meal out, there are generally four components. We have an appetizer, we have an entree, we have a dessert, and we have a drink. Let's say I gave you eight tokens to spend. Think about it like an arcade growing up. But each one of those, the app, the entree, the drink, and the dessert, cost two tokens to have a big full portion of each. So if you want to spend four or five tokens on alcohol and have a bunch of drinks, go right ahead and do that. But now you only have three tokens to spend on the other stuff. So it's not going to make sense to also have a bunch of desserts and a bunch of appetizers and then the entree on top of it. So similar to the drink quota, this is a great strategy for not operating from a place of deprivation or restriction or very hard rules. But generally framing things like, okay, I have eight quotas, excuse me, eight tokens. I can kind of spread out however I want. Each component of this meal costs about two tokens. Obviously, this is just like calories in disguise. And I can allocate this however I want based on what matters most to me tonight in this moment. What will genuinely add to my experience. And when I look back on this two days from now, two weeks from now, two months, two years from now, I'm going to say that was a delicious dessert that I remember my aunt bringing over. And I'm glad I saved my appetite for that. Or when my cousin made me those drinks, that was so fun. And we had a lot of good laughs. And you're not going to end up using those tokens on the bread and butter that you can get any day of the week at any restaurant that you'll forget about immediately afterwards. So in short, when it comes to alcohol, because clearly this could be an episode in itself, you can use the weekly drink quota, you can use the token method that we just went over, or you can get extremely familiar with your drink number, the number that causes you to throw in the towel on everything else. And these are all strategies for incorporating a moderate amount of drinking. Obviously, nothing is going to trump simply drinking less. That's the far less sexy answer, but it's going to result in uh, more fat loss on a very micro level. It's going to result in better sleep quality. It's going to result in more consistent workouts, better nutrition. As I often remind my clients, nobody ever got a good buzz and said to their friend, you know what I could use right now? a kale salad. That sounds great. We end up in a Taco Bell drive-thru. We end up going back to the dessert table. We know the most realistic outcome, which is obviously a recurring theme today. So please keep that in mind as you enter the holidays. 
And that is it for today's holiday Q&A. Obviously, a lot of great questions today and a lot of stuff that applies to any social situation, any holiday, any gathering, and not just Thanksgiving, which I happen to be recording this right before Thanksgiving. So if you got anything out of this episode, if you got ideally a lot out of this episode, I would appreciate you taking the time to leave a quick rating and review for the show. As I mentioned prior, it helps this show get in front of more people. And that's exactly what I would love to do is help more people. So thank you so much for your time today. I hope you have a wonderful holiday season. 